turn to Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 21. I think it's around 9.03 in your pew Bible. If you forgot your Bible this morning, of course, Baptists never forget their Bibles, but note that carefully. Second Peter, chapter 1, reading verses 12 to 21. Some wonderful injunctions for believers in Jesus Christ in the first part of the chapter. We're not going to take time to read it, so we're going to start at verse 12 to 21. And Peter, the apostle, is saying, for this reason, because all those blessings that we have in the first part of the chapter. For this reason, he says, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed is a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, <clears throat> that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and our understanding of this great portion of Scripture, even for our hearts this morning. Let's bow our heads and hearts for prayer. Father, we come before you once again, praising you and thanking you that we know we're always in your presence, day by day, moment by moment. And so we pray, Father, that we reflect your glory to others and your goodness in ourselves for others also to find that goodness that's in Christ Jesus as we come rejoicing this morning. We thank you for this quiet hour when we can come before you and know that you are our God and we are your people. We've come here, Lord, to worship you in spirit and truth on the first day of the week when we remember Jesus Christ was raised from the dead on that first Sunday morning. And so we come thinking of the glory of God and Jesus Christ in such a way that we can come before you with this precious faith that's in Christ Jesus knowing that it is the only faith that counts before a Holy Father. And so we thank you that we can come before you this morning to praise your name, to lift it on high, and know that Jesus Christ is our God and Savior through that precious blood that flowed from Calvary. And so we thank you, Father, for that resurrection morning that gives evidence that you are pleased with the sacrifice of your Son for each one of us today. And so we come as your blood-bought saints to worship you in spirit and in truth. So bless us, Father, with your Holy Spirit. 
Teach us from your word and move us to understand it in such a way that we can take it out to others where we live, where we work, where we move and have our being, whether it's in a school or a workshop, whether it's in a home or even the senior home, in our homes to our children and grandchildren, to each one, that each one might know what it is to be saved from their sins and the power of Satan. And each one might know that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And so we come before you, worshiping you, knowing that you are God and we are your people and you are the one who looks after in such a way that you are the good shepherd that tends the flock. And so, Father, we come to you through Jesus Christ our Lord to pray for one another. We pray for our deacons. We pray for the leadership in our church. We pray for our pastor and Jane at this particular moment of life. We praise you for them, and we pray for them. We pray for their families, Lord. We pray for each one. <clears throat> and we pray, Father, that the blessing of the Lord would be their portion, even as we pray for the blessing of the Lord to be our portion. And so we pray for our church family. We pray for our sick. We pray for our aged. We pray for our young. We pray for each one, Lord. We know their needs. We understand they have needs. And we have needs, Father, and we thank you, Father, that we can come before you and know that you meet every need we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. So bless us now, Lord, as we serve you in worship and wonder and stand in awe of you as we think our missionaries on that foreign field. Bless them, Father. They're a long way from home, and perhaps they're lonely. Perhaps they're discouraged at times. We pray for them. We know, Father, some are in dangerous lands. Some are in lands where the gospel is received. We pray, Father, for missionaries. We pray for our camps, Sunnybury and Maple Spring. We pray for our country, those who have the rule over us. We pray, Father, that the glory of the Lord should never depart from this land, but that we might have a land that recognizes Protestant Christianity as being such a blessing to our country that we pray our leaders might remember our heritage and bless us with proper laws. So use us now, Lord, in our service. Use us, Lord, in such a way that we can love one another. And use us, Father, even as we hear your word. For we praise you for it. And thank you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, whom to know is life eternal. In his name we pray. Amen. <coughs> That portion of scripture you read this morning has a lot in it for our hearts, as you know. And if we go into the first part of the chapter, there's a lot more in it, as you know. And I'm assuming that you know a lot about the Bible. I'm assuming that as Baptists, you know your Bible, that you understand what God is saying to us in our Bible. It's a wonderful teaching that we have here in 2 Peter chapter 1, 12 to 21. We're looking at our precious faith. Can you imagine a big muscled Fisherman, like Peter, strong, and he talks, used the word precious. Now, I can't quite see that in a big, tough man. It's precious to be saved. But you know, he's right. It's precious. We have a precious faith. Uh, 
as we could say, the Bible says, when the Lord returns, will he find faith on the earth? I'll say he will. He finds all kinds of faiths. There's all kinds of faiths in the world today. There's cults, philosophies, faiths of many kinds. But you know, Peter says, we have a precious faith. Precious faith. Why? Because it's in one person. Your precious faith is in one person. Not in a philosophy, not in a religion, not in some person except Jesus. That's why it's precious. We're talking about Jesus Christ, who is our precious faith. And we'll notice in our scripture reading this morning, we see Peter the Apostle writing to all those, verse 1 of Peter, chapter 1, to all those who have obtained like precious faith with us. Now here we are 2,000 years later, and he's saying we have the same precious faith that the apostles had. Well, what's so great about the apostles? They're no different than you are. Elijah's a man of like passions as you were. Think on that. What is he saying to you today? We have obtained like precious faith with us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. This means 2,000 years later, we have the same precious faith the apostles had. Why? Do you have the same precious faith Peter had? Yes. Why? Because each generation from the apostles got the same gospel of Jesus Christ that led them into a precious faith and for 2,000 years has been coming forward, all the way forward, all the way forward, to you in the pew and to me in the pulpit. That's why. <coughs> and that's important. That's important to remember. We want to notice that this morning. What Peter is saying to all those who have this precious faith in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's saying if you're saved, if you're saved in Christ, he, Peter, is speaking to us and telling us something we need to know. He's saying very carefully to us today, wake up and remember where your faith comes from. It's not from Ellen White. It's not from Mary Baker Eddy. It's not from some pope or potentate. It's not from... Jim Jones, he led 900 people to commit suicide. Who are you following today, says Peter. Peter's saying we have a precious faith in a person, and it's not some man-person, man-made person. It's God himself in the person of Jesus Christ, and he wants you to wake up and remember where your faith comes from. It comes from God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son for you today. And that's the same faith that the apostle Peter had. We're no different than the apostles. We have the same faith. We believe the same thing. We want to do the same things. Well, maybe not be thrown to a lion or something, but, you know, who knows the future holds? We have to think of these things, don't we? This faith is the great faith because it's the precious faith that's in Jesus Christ. Are you saved this morning? You see, that's a good question. Ask yourself, are you saved this morning? If you're saved this morning, you have that precious faith that's in Christ Jesus. That's the important issue we're noticing this morning. And Peter the Apostle says, wake up. Wake up. The word of God is very important. He's saying in verse 12, I won't neglect in putting you in remembrance of these things. What things? Well, the first part of the chapter, the second part of the chapter, is important for you today. Why? Because of the same faith that the apostles had. The same faith that's been going down for 2,000 years. 
generation by generation to generation to generation until it reaches you in the pew and me in the pulpit. Wow, I like that. I don't follow some man. I don't follow some religion. I don't follow some philosophy. I follow a person. His name is Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. That's what Peter is saying here. Very important for us to remember this, that we are to be a people who have the like faith that the apostles had today was the same faith they had 2,000 years ago. And we might need to know that. He's saying, we have a precious faith in Christ. And so he's telling us something. I want you, he says, to wake up. Wake up. Be like me. Be like the apostles, he's saying. We must continue in the word of God that brings this same faith to other people who will believe in Jesus Christ, their personal Savior. What's the point of life? What do you live for? Well, Peter's saying, we need to look at a few things here. And first of all, Peter's saying, first of all, Peter's saying, I want to repeat that. First of all, <laughs> Peter is saying here, first of all, Peter's saying, you know, he says, men will die, but the word of God lives on. Wow. I didn't know that. Did you? The apostles are dead. Notice that. He's saying here, men will die, but God's word lives on. Can we remember that? That's what he's saying there. Verses 12 to 15 says here in chapter 1 of Second Peter, I will not neglect to remind you of God's truths in Jesus Christ that you already know and are established in. What are we establishing? The truth of Christ's salvation, which is for you. That's what he's saying. For you. But I want to stir you up and wake you up to remember the great truths of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. It's important to remind you of it. We get you waking up to understand it's the only thing in life that's going to carry you through your problems and trials of life. Why? Because Peter says, I'm going to die. That's why. Now that's a thought, isn't it? Apostles are dead. He's saying, I want to remind you very carefully, he says, I will die. Men will die. He's saying in verse 14, I will put off my tent, my body, as our Lord Jesus Christ has told me. And Jesus reminds us all we're going to die. Or young don't think we are because they're still full of energy and vivaciousness and the excitement. But we who are a little older and a little wiser, we know we're going to die. Unless Jesus comes first, of course, and rapture the church before the tribulational period, of course, as you know. Interesting, isn't it? Men will die, but God's word lives on. That's the apostles are telling us. Peter will die. Men will die. Apostles will die out. Yes, pastors will die. Bible teachers will die. Our Sunday school teachers will die. And a lot of them have by now. We need to understand that. They all die. What did they do before they died? They told others about Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad of that? Did you have a Sunday school teacher told you about Jesus Christ when you were young? Did you have a pastor told you about Jesus Christ when you were young? And when you are older? We're all going to die. And here's the question. Does the word of God die with them when they die? Of course not. The answer to that is of course not. It's been going on for 2,000 years. The same faith that the apostles had has been carried on through the ages today, down to today. <coughs> Men die out. Luther's dead. 
Calvin is dead. The great men of the past are dead. The Protestant Reformation is dead. Not the Reformation itself, but the men who started it. Dead. But before they died, this is the key. Listen carefully. Before they died, they told the next generation. What do you tell the next generation? What are you telling the next generation? Because you're going to die unless the rapture of the church occurs, and you've got to leave something behind. We need to understand that. Peter's saying here, wake up, wake up, he says. I want to remind you of this. He's saying, remember the word of God's truth that brought you to salvation, to that precious faith we're talking about. That's in Christ. There's only one faith. As far as God's concerned, it's in Christ. And he says, Peter says, and take it out to others before you die, like we did, because Peter says, I'm going to die. Jesus told me so. You know the legend how he died, of course. I'm not going to that this morning. And so we can ask ourselves, what is the most important thing to do in life before you die? The world says make a will. Wow. That's, a good, that's good advice. That's true. That's good advice. What is the most important thing to do in life before you die? The world says make out a will. The Bible says through Peter, verse 13, as long as I'm in my body, I will stir up, wake up Christians, remember the word of God, that never dies. Why? Because we're going to pass it on before we die, I hope. And that's the whole point of the scripture. He wants us to remember the word of God that never dies. It's the same gospel that Peter and Paul the apostles preached that you and I are preaching today by how we live, how we talk, how we move in this world, how we have our being. We're the only epistles, as the scripture says, that some men will read. The world out there doesn't always read the Bible. A lot of people hate the Bible, but they're reading your life. You're the epistle that mankind is reading. How do you live? for the next generation. That's what we're doing. We're living for the next generation. We want to tell our kids, grandkids, people, <coughs> Sunday school people, any people, where we work, play, wherever we are, wherever God puts you, we're telling others something. And what are we telling? The same thing Peter's telling us. Wake up. Wake up and tell somebody about Jesus. Peter's saying, wake up. Remember, men die, and you'll die someday. And what will you leave behind? I trust it will be people who will remember. You said, never forget the living word of God. You said, never forget the facts of Scripture. You said, that brought that Scripture that brought you to the knowledge of Christ as Savior, go and tell others, Jesus is Lord. Why? because you've got to leave something behind in our lives. You know, the book of Proverbs says you work hard all day. Well, I'm putting it in my vernacular, modern vernacular. Proverbs says you work hard all your life, and you save up your money, you make a nice estate, and you leave your money behind, because you're going to die anyway. You leave it all behind, and what does it say in the book of Proverbs? And some fool comes and takes it and spends it all anyway. What did you leave behind? Nothing. Nothing. Your estate may just go to a fool as the proverb says. And they waste what you work so hard for. They don't use it sensibly even. 
So we see something very important here. We're to remember the facts of Scripture. Never forget the living Word of God, the facts of Scripture that brought you to this knowledge of Christ as Savior and gave you that precious faith in a person called Jesus Christ. Remember, says Peter, the facts of faith. That's in the Scriptures. Those facts of faith that nurture you to grow in grace, that saved you. Pass it on to the next generation. That's what we did, the apostles are saying. And they did a good job. They were the foundation of the church, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, says the book of Ephesians. And God wants you to continue in the same faith the apostles had, reaching out to others in the same way, that they might also be saved and pass it on to others. The facts of Scripture sent people out into the mission field, the world, in fact, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think of William Carey, the father of modern missions, India, 17th century. He gave up his life, you might say, to go to a country, probably didn't know a white man except for those who are out for business. Hudson Taylor in China. <laughs> he went alone, you might say. No, he had God with him. He had the facts of Scripture. He had the special, precious faith and reached out to Chinese, and today we have millions of Chinese in China. Of course, keep it a bit secret, but millions of Chinese are Christians today. Judson went to Burma, lost his wife there. It costs a lot sometimes to serve God. And so Peter is saying, Christians, wake up. Wake up to this fact. We may die, says the apostles, and you may die, but the word lives on in the lives of those you left behind. That's the key. The purpose of a Christian's life is to leave the word of God behind to that next generation so they will not only be saved, but they will take that precious faith out to the next person. The purpose of life is to live for the word of God that others too might be saved. And that's what we see here. You may die, but the Word of God lives on in the lives of those you leave behind. But does it? It does if you wake up. That's the point of Peter saying this. It does if you wake up. And remember, life soon passes away. That's something to remember, isn't it? Life soon passes away. As the old poem says, and I'm looking for it, out of here somewhere. It says, remember, life at best is very brief. Life soon passes away. And only what's done for Christ is what's going to count in the days to come. That's the beauty of Scripture. We may pass away, but you know, the Word of God is, goes on and on and on for 2,000 years, you might say. I'm not counting the Old Testament here. I'm counting the New Testament for now. Remember, life soon passes away, and only what's done for Christ will count. Now, if we understand that, and we should understand that, then notice here, secondly, as we said, first, men die, but God's word lives on. 
Men and women die, but God's word lives on if we are waking up and proclaiming that wonderful faith we have to others. And secondly, we'll remember experiences fade away, but the word of God remains. Now, existentialist philosophy is sort of, sort of well, it's dying out now, but it was a big thing there for a while. <coughs> it, everything was how you feel about it. You know, the, the world was uh, everything from the neck down. How do you feel about it? Uh, Christianity, true Christianity, is from the neck up. What do you think about it? I like that better. They had in the paper the other day had a restaurant that said, well, come and experience our meals. Interesting, because we used to say, well, come on out and enjoy the meal. Or come out and taste the food. Now it's, come out and experience the food. How do you feel about it? Well, what do you think about it? That's better, because you might not like it. It might taste awful. And so we see something here that's very important. Peter is telling us something here very important. He says, men die, but God's will live on. And you are to remember, says Peter, even your experiences fade away, but the word of God remains. That's a great teaching. The word of God remains. The world today lives to experience things. Look around you where you work. Schools, any place. You see, the world wants to experience power. Wow, power. Men want possessions. They want to experience their possessions. Credit card debt, big today. I see it, I want it. Possessions. We experience those possessions. They experience popularity. Look at the Academy Awards tonight. Wow. Popularity, the celebrities. No, don't watch, don't watch it tonight. Because they all hate each other anyway. They're jealous of each other. They experience hatred. And yet, they'll be kissy-kissy, lovey-lovey, huggy-huggy. If you're watching that tonight, you'll see that. They experience pleasure. One pastor used to call it, well, they want to experience the plenty of everything. That's what he wants to call it. We want to experience, says the world, the plenty of everything. But as life passes, as we get older, and I hope a little wiser, we, uh, we notice that we have a precious faith that is the most important thing in life. We understand experience fades away, but the word of God remains. That's what Peter's saying here. Notice verses 15 to 18. Peter's speaking about his and John and James. It's always interesting, you know, there's sort of a, there's always people a little closer to God than someone else. Did you ever notice that? And here's Peter, James, and John. They're called the, sort of the central figures of the apostles, you might say. <coughs> And here he's talking about him, Peter, James, and John, their experience of witnessing Jesus Christ in all his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. You see that in Matthew 17, 1-5. And he's saying, hey, we saw the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus said, before you guys die, before you apostles die out, you're going to see the glory of God in the kingdom of God. And they did on the Mount of Transfiguration. His whole appearance changed, his clothes changed, the glory of God is there. And Peter's saying, hey, we saw him. This is not a fable. This is not a fairy tale. Actually saw him. And here in verse 17 now, and Peter here, he says, Peter says, we even heard the voice of God from heaven, from the excellent glory of heaven, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, because there's none other. Your precious faith is based on Jesus Christ, who God the Father says he's well pleased in. Are you pleased with Jesus? You better be, because there is none other. 
Peter is saying here, my experience of seeing Elijah and Moses with Jesus Christ was wonderful. But it reminds me, and I'm going to remind you Christians, Jesus Christ is a central figure of God's word here. And uh, we notice this, and Peter said, God said, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Hear ye him. And he said, that's wonderful. But, if we recall carefully in Matthew 17, verse 4, Peter wanted to honor Moses, Elijah, and Jesus equally. Now notice that. That's very important to note in your scriptures. He said, let's make three tents or tabernacles as though Moses and Elijah are equal with Jesus, and you can't do that. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. He's not equal with Moses and Elijah. But notice that here in 2 Peter chapter 1, and notice it carefully here, Elijah and Moses aren't even mentioned. Wow. It was a big thing in Matthew 17. It's nothing in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1st chapter. Here he only mentions Jesus. What a th thought here. They aren't even mentioned here in this part of the scriptures. Why? Why? Elijah and Moses are not even mentioned here in this portion of scripture. Yet in Matthew 17, Peter makes that the most important thing going. Why aren't they mentioned here? Why not? Why not? Because God the Father honored, honored and glorified only God the Son, no one else. Verse 17, when he said, this is my beloved Son, that's when he honored Jesus, in whom I am well pleased, he said. And so Peter's saying, you are to hear him only now. He's the one who declared unto you by the law and the prophet. There it is. Moses and Elijah are law and the prophets. And what did the law and the prophets of the Old Testament declare? They declared Jesus Christ. <clears throat> That's a great teaching for us. And yet Peter's saying here, we saw them in all their glory. We heard the voice from heaven, God the Father speaking. And now he's saying, but that experience fades away. But the word of God remains. There it is. Notice that. The experience fades away, but the word of God remains. And it remains clear in his memory that Jesus Christ is God's beloved Son in whom the Father is well pleased. In these last days of grace, we are not to live by our experiences and by our feelings. We're to live by the facts of Scripture again. Notice that. The well-known facts of Scripture that teaches us Jesus Christ must be front and center in our thinking and in our living. What does Jesus Christ mean to you today? We need to see that. That's important. We need to see that this is so important. This is so important here, it says that it kills the false teaching of our world today. It's so important to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It kills the fables of false religion, verse 16. The cold liberalism of our day denying the blood of Jesus Christ. The haughty rituals of the great cathedral, some popes and potentates. The emotional worked up feelings of the flesh that some people call the Holy Spirit. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Those are the fables and the false teachings of our world. They are not the facts of Scripture. The facts of Scripture comes because of our precious faith based on the Word of God that tells us Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And what is God's command to us today? Hear ye him. That's the voice that came from heaven. 
My, this kills the fables of false science and evolution when the word of God says so clearly, John 1.10, that without him, without him, nothing made that was made. Jesus Christ is the one who holds the world together. <clears throat> He'll take you through your problems in life. He'll take you through those difficulties in life. He will take you even on into heaven. What a great teaching we have from Peter the Apostle. No, we need to understand that Moses and Elijah may represent the law and the prophets which teach us about Jesus, <coughs> but God himself tells us by the facts of Scripture to follow Jesus alone. He alone is the center of our precious faith. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And lastly, notice <coughs> Peter says, wake up. I like that ever so often. The Christian needs to wake up. You know, we sort of get drifting around in the culture of our world or the whatever culture we're living in. Maybe it's a culture from a home. That's a little different than scripture. We need to wake up and remind and be reminded, of course, as the world gets darker, <clears throat> the word of God shines brighter and brighter until a new day dawns in our hearts. That's what Peter's saying here. Verses 19 to 21 in Second Peter chapter 1. Peter says, wake up. He reminds us that Jesus Christ, as Jesus Christ fulfilled the written word of the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, prophets and law. So you are to take this wonderful word of truth out to others. Today we have a more sure word of prophecy than the voice from heaven. That's what he's saying here. <coughs> if your experiences have faded, faded away, think on it for a minute. What's left? Well, what's left, of course, is the word of prophecy the word of our God that's proclaimed in the New Testament of Christ's blood. Old Testament, New Testament is for us today. It's written, the written word for us is more certain than a vision from heaven. That's what Peter's saying. You know, he said we had a great vision, the transfiguration of Jesus. And yet, he's saying, now notice it, the written word is more certain than a voice from heaven. I don't want to hear a voice from an angel. It might scare me. I don't want to hear a great loud voice coming down from heaven. I get nervous. I'd rather put my confidence in the word of God. It's written for you today. It is written. Today we have a more sure word of prophecy, says Peter. We have a more sure of proclamation in the New Testament of Christ's blood. The written word for us is more certain than a voice from heaven. Now get that. Peter is saying that. Notice that? Peter, the apostle, is saying, I'd rather have the written word of God than even the voice from heaven. And that's important for us to remember because he says, wake up. I want you to remember the word of God <clears throat> as it is written. Not as some angel talking in your ear. It might not be an angel. It could be a devil. So be careful. And so we see that he's warning us. He's saying to us, wake up. Wake up. The Mount of Transfiguration was a great experience, but it's gone because we have the written word. It was almost completed in Peter's day, of course. He's saying we have something better. We have the written word. So you are to be a people who are to trust in the written word because think of it for a minute. You never saw Jesus transfigured. You never saw that. You never saw Jesus on a cross. You think of that. You never saw him with the physical eye 
of an empty tomb or the stone rolled away. You've never seen that. You've never seen the miracles of our Lord walking on water, feeding 5,000 people. You never saw that. But remember, Jesus said something very important to doting Thomas. In case you're a doting Christian, he said to doting Thomas, I like that. Thomas was a great guy. I like Thomas. Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem and get killed. And Thomas, oh, I'll go with you and get dead. No, he didn't. He was doting everything. But he's a great man, Thomas was. Because Jesus said to Thomas, and that's important for us today, you have not seen anything, us today, but Thomas, he said, Thomas, you've seen all these things. You've seen me. And Jesus said, blessed are they that have not seen me and yet have believed. That's you today. That's you today. Precious faith is in a person we haven't seen. Yet we believe him. That's the key. Yet we believe him. That's the important part. And we need to understand that our Bible is the living word of God that shines Jesus into our heart. He shone Jesus into our hearts. The Bible does that. Because you haven't seen Jesus with the naked eye. You haven't seen him at all. And so you have to see that very carefully here. Remember, God the Holy Spirit, verse 21, moved and breathed through holy men of old who wrote for your benefit and mine the word of God that will never pass away. Our lives will pass away. Our experiences will fade away. But the word of God goes on forever. It will never pass away. What will it do then? It will shine brighter and brighter for a new day is coming, says the scripture, as Peter says here, when sin and darkness and death will be no more. Let's wake up and remember. <clears throat> we have the completed word of the God today. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's in our hand. It's in our hands. Is it in your heart, though? Is the word of God in your heart? Better than an angel talking in your ear. Better than a voice from heaven. Better than any experience you can have. I trust it's in your hearts. And so let's remember, as Peter is saying this, let's remember as we leave this place, let's go out to that next generation. Because you will die. But the word of God moves on. Your experiences will fade, but the word of God remains. So what are you to do about it? Peter says, wake up and go out. And tell your loved ones, relatives, friends, neighbors. And we'll say the same thing that Peter said. Wake up, man. That's what he said. Wake up, man. And remember, the darker the world gets, the more you're going to need the light of God's word, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul writes in Corinthians. Have you seen the glory of God? Yeah, in the face of Jesus Christ. How? By faith. You've never seen Jesus physically. And that's the way God wants you to live. By faith. And then he wants you to take that faith out to others. Who? The next generation. Because you will die, and they will live and carry on spreading the word of God out to others in such a way that the word of God will continue until the rapture of the church before the tribulational period. And then there will be the tribulational saints, which is another story. I'll tell you that some other time. The darker the world gets, the more you need the light of God's word. That's the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Bible said you and I are the light of the world. We're the light and salt. Why? To keep the world from going rotten. That's why. When the rapture of the church occurs, I want to say it very clearly. The world will go rotten. And you better be glad you're not here. And you better be trusting the Lord for your salvation. 
This dark world needs the light of God's word declaring the person of Jesus Christ and none else. There is no one else. None else. And we need to see that. We must say to all people, especially the next generation, hear ye him. Not some man, not some woman. Hear ye him, Jesus Christ. And we want to be that kind of people. Have you heard him today? Have you heard of Jesus today? Not just heard of him. Have you heard him? That's the important part. Have you heard him today? Not heard of him, but heard him. And if you have, let's go out. That's the point. The next generation has to get the word of God. That's Peter saying. Hey, he said, we die up. I'm going to die, says Peter. But the word of God goes on. How does it go on? To the next generation. And it's kept going on to you in the pew. What are you going to do with it? I'll tell you, the word of God will protect you, guard you, and guide you through all the problems in life. And you're going to have problems in life. Christians do. But then so do the unsaved, a lot worse than us. So put your trust in the word of God because it gives you a precious faith that will carry you through the trials and troubles of life. And on top of that, it's the way you live, the way you talk, and the what you do will be passed on to the next generation. Is that how you're living today? I trust it is. Because we'll pass away, our experience will pass away, but the word of God lives forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And so we need to put our trust in that which is real. It's not a fairy tale. It's real. And we want to tell the next generation, God and Jesus Christ is real. Study the Bible. Know your word. And go out and tell someone else, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man will ever come to the Father except by him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you <coughs> in our precious faith that's in Christ Jesus and none else. We thank you, Father, you're with us to bless us. And he uses for your glory. And Father, not to just bless us, but to use us as a blessing to the next generation, that they too might hear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So bless us, Father, as we contemplate on your word. We know that we shall pass away. We know that our experiences will fade, but we also know, Lord, that your word is a light onto the path, a lamp upon the feet who need to see their way in a dark world. So we pray, Father, each heart here might remember that we are to tell the next generation, as the apostles so faithfully did in their day, that we might be just as faithful in our day, that others might see Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Hear ye him. Bless us, Lord. Use us as we go into a new week. Use us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.